you. Thank you for the warm welcome. Just coming back into Gateway, coming back into um, the church today, just it felt like a deep breath and welcome home. I definitely feel it. Thank you. And I, I just want to say that when John and Steph, they asked me um, last year if I would speak again on Mother's Day this year, and I was really excited to do that. And then to hear that the sermon series was going to be about the promises of God, and that just takes me back. That took me back to um, some time in my church history, early church history, when we used to greet one another. Y'all be thankful that we're, we're here now, but we, we don't do this anymore. But that we used to greet one another by asking, so what is a promise of God that you're standing on? And like you had to answer that. That was not how are you doing, but what is a promise of God that you're standing on? And this kind of came out of, um, in our church, we, we used to sing the old hymns. And so one of those hymns that we would sing is Standing on the Promises of God. Is anybody familiar with that? Yeah, a little bit. All right. And so around the second verse, my dad would, he's the pastor, okay, and he would come forward and we always knew what to expect. So he would come forward and stop the song leader, stop the worship leader, and he would say in his voice, we cannot sing about the promises of God unless we know what the promises of God are that we're standing on. And we all knew what that meant. That meant it was time for popcorn testimony time. Is anybody familiar with popcorn testimony time? Yeah, okay, because we're getting ready to do it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but what that would mean is I had to have a strategy because we had to pop up and give a promise of God that we were standing on and a little bit of context with that. So we could always count on um, Miss Anna in the front row who would pop up and she would say, I'm standing on the promise that God is my provider, Jehovah Jireh. And we'd all clap. That's, that's wonderful. And I knew I needed to be number two or number three, like not too early, but not too later. Someone's going to take my promise and then I'm going to have to think of something on the spot. And I always had the same line, always. I would pop up number two and I would say, I'm standing on the promise that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And everybody knew that's what I would say, right? So here we are in this moment and standing on the promises and Miss Anna stands up and she says, Jehovah Jireh, rah, right? And then it's my turn and I pop up and I'm getting ready to blurt out. And then we're in church and y'all are looking at me and I'm looking at you and I could say nothing. No words can come, would come out of my mouth. Even though my brain was on fire with the words, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I could not say any words. The tears were starting to trickle down my cheek just as fast as they could. So I sat down, felt like forever standing there. And I had a sweet lady sitting right in front of me, she turns around and she says, and in, in this small church, you could hear every conversation. Like we just didn't talk in church. She turns around and she said, honey, your words speak, your tears, excuse me, honey, your tears speak louder than your words. And I was, you know, a young 12 year old and, you know, my level of spirituality was so deep that I in my head just was like, well, 
no, duh. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay, I'm crying here. But you know, I was going to say that I was a precocious PK, and I, I was. And um, I had no text or no context to just blurt out, he will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. I, I just knew that that was a promise, and that was an easy one to say. But now, I'm going to tell you, I had a birthday on Monday, and I'm five decades in, and I'm owning it. <laughs> I can testify to the faithfulness and the goodness of God that he never leaves us, and he never forsakes us, and I have context for that today. Amen. And I'm just praying that uh, God's words will speak louder than my words today. All right. So, Father, we just love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your precious promise that you never leave us and you never forsake us and you mean it. And that never is a long time. Father, I pray that you soften our hearts to hear the message that you would speak to us. Open up our ears to hear as one being taught and anoint your word to sustain the weary in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at this promise. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And that promise is peppered throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's such a pervasive theme that God is wanting to say something about himself to us with a message of hope and joy and comfort. And that is that he's not leaving. He is with us. He is with us. It was the message of hope and comfort that was given from the prophets, that he's Emmanuel, the good tidings of great joy that was spoken by the angel, that he is God with us. And that is a powerful anchor promise that we hold on to when things aren't going so well, or it holds on to us. And I do say anchor because anchor's purpose is to keep something steady or from blowing away or drifting off course. So that if there's a storm and this is a ship, it will drop anchor and the anchor will drag until it grabs hold of something stronger than itself. And the ship is not blown over and isn't destroyed but if that same ship is at rest on a calm sea, the anchor steadies it and keeps it from drifting. We can be in both camps in, both in, in our lives where there's some storms that are just howling and we need that anchor of a promise to hold us steady and keep us from drifting off course. Or we could be at times of peace and things are going okay and we still need these anchor promises to keep us on course. We definitely need not forget the promise when we feel anxious or depressed or frustrated or worried or things are just coming against us left and right. And we're saying, I have had enough. I may just throw in the towel like our family can't take another hit is when these promises become an anchor that hold on to us. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 where we see this promise in the New Testament and the writer says let your conduct that's the way you live and the way you compose yourself throughout life be without covetousness be content with such things as you have 
And that could be be content with your stuff, but also be content with your circumstances. Be content with your situation in life. Not looking to the left, not looking to the right. Be content where you are, and this is why. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I won't do it. Now, leave and forsake, those are two key words here in this passage. Leave, we understand. We, we use that word commonly, like walk out the door, slam, boom, gone, done. Leave. That's in the Webster's Dictionary, by the way. <laughs> but forsake is a word that we don't commonly use. Um, we, there's nobody going into work tomorrow saying, you know, boss, I think I'm going to forsake this job because there's a better opportunity for my family elsewhere. Like, we just don't use that word, right? We save the word forsake for people like Shakespeare, right? Anybody know, say thou didst forsake me? Verse? No? Okay. It's okay. <laughs> but I'm going to give us a clear picture of forsake may be found in your kitchen. And if not in your kitchen, definitely mine. Please send help after you hear this. Okay. And it's called the junk drawer. Now, all right. Okay, I heard it. All right. Woo-hoo. I'm not the only one. <laughs> so every time we move, we say, this time, no more junk drawer. Like, everything will have its place. And if it doesn't, we don't need it, right? And outright, yeah. If you can do that, like, I truly admire you, but I cannot do that at my house. But I will say that I know where to find a Taco Bell sauce packet if I need one. Thank you very much. <laughs> that and a hundred other small things that uh, just really have no proper place. But it's a junk drawer. And re the reality of that junk drawer is that that stuff is worthless. Eventually, I'm going to get so sick of that junk drawer. I'm not going to remember what's in it. It's going to be such an eyesore that I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to dump it. I don't need it. If I need it, I'll just buy it. Like, I didn't know what was in the junk drawer to begin with. It's gone, except for the Taco Bell. Like, that gets saved, right? <laughs> but it's for forsaken stuff. The junk drawer is forsaken stuff. It's worthless and it holds no more value and it holds no purpose. So when the word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, it's saying I'm not designating you to a junk drawer. You have purpose. You have value. I will never leave you and I will never put you in a place where you cannot be used. He himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that promise in Hebrews is in quotation marks. And what that tells us is that it is found elsewhere in the Bible. Meaning that when the writer of Hebrews was writing this, he's, he or she is in it could have been a she, we don't know, writing to encourage believers that were going through perilous times. I mean, this was a very perilous time to be a believer. You could be thrown in prison. You probably would lose your job. It was brother against brother. It would be son turning in mother if you were a believer and you could get something out of turning someone in. And the, the atmosphere of betrayal was heavy on these people. They didn't know who they could trust. And so the writer is saying, in every circumstance with all of your, your situations, he promises, he himself said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So if the promise is found back here in the, another part of the Bible and it was good for them then, then it is good for us now. And if it's good for us now, then it's good for us now. 
It is a timeless promise. This is what it shows us, that God's promises transcend time. God's promises are timeless. Whatever was relevant then is relevant now. If we could apply then, we can apply now. He himself said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now these promises, they have to be more than words for them to be anchors. Like they cannot be something that we just put on our social media because it looks nice and looks good. God's promises must be so branded in our heart because there will be times and times and times when every resource will be stripped away from you and only what you have in your heart in that moment is what might see you through that situation. It's the middle of the night when the knock comes on the door and it's an officer and you are hearing things that no person should ever have to hear and you're standing there all by yourself and no one's answering their phone. It is then that the timeless promises of God, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is with us. He is with us in that moment. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. When it's just you, your situation, and God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We see this scripture first spoken back in Genesis. So it's from Genesis to Revelation, God with us. But it's the story of Jacob. Now I'm just going to touch on it briefly. Jacob was a young man. And if anyone could mess up his life before 30, Jacob could do it. And Jacob should have known better. I mean, his grandfather was Abraham, the father of faith. And his dad, Isaac, the child of promise, Jacob grew up in a rich spiritual heritage, and yet he still messed up his life royally and chose to. And he's in one mess after another. He has broken the heart of his mother. He has tricked his father. He's deceived his brother so many times and stolen from him so many times. He is the betrayer in this family. And they're done and fed up with him. His brother, his twin brother, says, if I ever get my hands on Jacob, I will kill him. That's the mess Jacob is in. Whew. And he finds himself all alone, all away from home. And he's all by himself. But God in this mess, says, I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. You see, God was saying, Jacob, you can't shake me off that easily. I'm not leaving, and I'm going to finish the good work that I started in you, the plans that I have for you. You see, Jacob hadn't messed it up so badly that God was going to wipe his hands of him and be done. He said, I will not leave you. Your family, like you, he left his family, but they were done. Like they were done. I will not leave you. And that was all based on God. I will not. I have done. I have spoken. And that basis of God and his character is what we can trust in and believe in, that when he says it to Jacob, he's saying it to us. You can't mess it up so royally. 
You can't do it. You can't say, well, I should have known I grew up in church. Well, I should have known. My mama and my grandma and my dad, they all pray and we all read. No, you cannot mess it up so royally that God's not going to look at you and say, he who started a good work will be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. He's not leaving you. He's not leaving you alone. And thank God for that. Those words must have been a comfort to Jacob, I'm thinking. But I want to just kind of look back into his family, his mom and his dad, Rebecca and Isaac. They're people of faith. So I'm believing that they're praying for their son Jacob, whom they never see again. They, they can't FaceTime their son who's left. And he was gone for two decades. And by the time he comes back, they, they've passed. But I'm just wondering if his mom was the type of woman that was just praying and praying and praying for Jacob. And she, if we could just let her know, God is with your son. He knows exactly where he is. He hasn't run so far that God can't find him. And God has made a promise to your son that he's not leaving him until he does the work that he has planned to do in your son. Some mamas, we need to hear that today. The Lord was with her son. A second time that we hear that promise is from Moses, who was the great leader leading the children of Israel out of captivity from Pharaoh. And he's getting to the end of his life, and he brings the congregation together. That's us in this moment. And he's saying, look, you're going to face some hostility as you move forward on this journey. There's going to be some casualties, but keep moving forward. And this is a charge based upon God. And this is what Moses tells them. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. Do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And so the charge to the community is keep moving forward. But then Moses draws a young protege one-on-one, and he's, he's going to pass the baton of leadership to young Joshua. And the message is the same. He says, the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you, Joshua. He will not leave you, young man, nor forsake you. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. That's our pattern to look at when we've been through some stuff. Because Moses had been through some stuff. Like he's at the end of his life. He, he knows leadership pain. He knows relationship pain. He knows family pain. He knows betrayal. He knows rejection. He knows people lying about him. He knows the overwhelming um, odds of just feeling like he's the only one. And yet he looks into the next generation and he says, God is faithful. Do not be afraid of whatever is before you because he is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And he's testifying out of the faithfulness of God in his own life. I love that. The same is for us. When we go through opposition and struggle, we are set up with a unique ministry opportunity to minister the same comfort we have received from the Lord, the same knowledge of God's faithfulness in our life. I can minister that to you. I know God is faithful. I've lived it. I've been there. I know he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. We may sometimes wish he'd take his hands off a little bit, but he doesn't leave us and he doesn't forsake us. 
And Joshua, it's not because you have the right training or the right credentials or you have the right coping skills that you're going to be able to lead. It is because of who is going with you and who you put your faith in. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God is with you. So those are the three specific times that that promise is spoken. But we're going to look at a scenario, a narrative in the, in the scriptures in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where it is dramatically displayed. And this, this 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is really where I go to when I'm going through some stuff. And it feels like it's just hit after hit after hit. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I go to this chapter as a template to see the faithfulness of God in the past to encourage my spirit and to trust the Lord that he is with us in this battle. So I'm going to set this up for you just a little bit. I want you to be in the moment. You have your bare feet, you are sandaled, you've got sand on the ground, and you are standing there with all of your friends and your neighbors, and you are hearing the worst news of your life. It is war, and you know what that means for women, and you know what that means for children, and you know what that means for everything you have poured your whole life into. It's about ready to be wiped out in an instant. Now, it is easy to read this story on ancient paper, an ancient story, and not have any connection to it. But, it. but what they are feeling could be very similar to what people were feeling when they looked up at the sky on 9-11 and they saw airplanes going towards the high rises and they were thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on here? What It was just bewildering and the fear that would rise up within them. This is the situation they're in. And the king who is responsible for everyone, not only his family, but his decision is going to make history one way or another is feeling the weight as well. So Second Chronicles chapter 20. It happened after this that the people of Moab, that's enemy number one, with the people of Ammon, that's enemy and hit number two. Okay, hit once, hit twice. Can it get any worse? And others, yep, it sure just did. Others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came to the king saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they're even at Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. Now that's code for, they're in our backyard. Like this is our land. The enemy is already here, already upon us. This isn't something to think about. It's hit one and then hit two and then hit again. And they are right here. And Jehoshaphat the king, it says, he feared, he was afraid. And he set himself to seek the Lord. He was afraid and he set himself to seek the Lord. Now, this is an impossible situation. The bottom has just fallen out for not only the king, but the whole nation. And the king is afraid, and he sets himself to seek the Lord. And what I see there is that do not think for a moment that fear cannot coincide with faith. Fear does not shove faith out the door, but faith, fear moves us to action. And it can coincide with faith because we can do things scared. 
He has these strong emotions, and we can put any kind of, of, of condition of our mind there. When he was lonely, he set himself to seek the Lord. When she was frustrated, set herself to seek the Lord. When things were uncertain, we set ourselves to seek the Lord. He was afraid, and he sought the Lord. These two things are side by side. And that matches what the psalm says. The psalm says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Together, same time. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. So fear drove him to seek the Lord and everyone else involved. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? What is he doing here? In prayer, he is reminding himself by speaking with the Lord who God is and what God has done. When our storms come and our troubles come, this is the pattern. We go and we say, has he not done it before? Has he not been faithful to my family before? Has he not been faithful in my life? Then what makes me think he's not going to be faithful now? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Then he keeps praying. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that is the prayerful stance that he takes when he doesn't know how to pray and when the words fall short and everything that can fall out of the bottom in his life is falling out of the bottom, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you and our eyes are on the one who never leaves us and never forsakes us. Now, I'm just going to tell you the next part of the story here. But before I do, I want to tell you a little story about something that happened on my little farm got a farm with chickens and bees. It's a farm. <laughs> There's this little mama bird that built herself a nest on our back porch right above the light. And it's, she did such a good job, like soft, like a baby blanket soft. It was so beautiful. And I'd go out there and I'd be like, good job, mama bird. I'm so proud of you, mama bird. Look at your babies, mama bird. I just talked to her. I don't care what my neighbors think. <laughs> One day I went out there and I just noticed all this stuff, this junk was like over the and over the nest and I couldn't figure, I was just like kind of bewildered because I hadn't seen that before. And then I look around and there's one baby bird and two baby bird and, and I know it's, I won't go into today, it didn't make it y'all. And then I look up and I can, I can hear mama bird over here and she's upset and then I see two baby birds underneath all that junk and I tell the mama bird, mama bird, get over there, get the junk out, get the junk out, those are your babies, go after your babies. But I know enough about animal kingdom not to help, so I just walked inside and I was frustrated. I didn't think those babies would make it. 
I look out the window because I see this stuff flying in front of my window. And I go out there and there's Mama Bird and she's just letting the junk fly out. And of course me, I'm like, you go get it, Mama Bird. You go get it. Go get the junk out. Get the junk out. And she's just helping her babies and getting the junk out. I loved it. And the Lord has used that little, little scene in my mind so many times to, to minister to me and to speak to me. It was on my mind when I called my mama a couple of weeks ago because some stuff was going on. Some junk was going on in our family. Well, we all have stuff, right? Because you call a mama. And I called her and I said, Mama, this. And Mama, that. And Mama, I don't think our family can take one more hit. And then I just, I broke. It was so intense. The conversation was so intense. And my mama said, you go ahead and cry. You probably need to, but while you're crying, I'm going to speak some truth into this situation. And she said, this is a time to let God Almighty be God Almighty. It's time for you to let God do what he does best. And then she said, and he's not leaving you and he's not forsaking you. He's not leaving you. He's not forsaking you. And then the light went on. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what I'm speaking about in two weeks. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. And as my mom was speaking truth into my life and into my family and praying over me over the phone, what mama was saying was, get the junk out. Get the junk out. We need some mamas and some dads that say, get the junk out. Replace that lie with some truth. I want a t-shirt that says, mama said, get the junk out. <laughs> Y'all will know. This is where we get our heels in the ground and we say, my whole world might be shaken. We may be taking one hit after another hit. And oh my goodness, if I hear any more bad news in this family and then another hit. And we get our heels on the ground and say, though the world may be shaken, our God is still on the throne and our God is in control. And he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. He is the fourth man in the fire. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And here is why. Because he is with me. He's with me. He's with you. He's with us. So, you guys, I am so burdened for families today. Like, this message is about if you have a loved one, a brother, a sister, like, and in your heart you're, like, burdened for them. And no burden is too great or too small that the Lord doesn't care about that. But sometimes stuff happens in family. There's, there can be deep hurt feelings. There's things of trauma that happened in the past. There's this sense of betrayal that burns up or feels like it burns up everything you thought to be true about your family and about your life. It's real stuff we're going through. It's a real battle. This is what the Word of God says. Do not fear for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. He wants us. <laughs> when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flames will not set you ablaze. And that is an anchor promise that we hold on to. He is with us. Would you all stand and small group leaders, as you come forward, if you don't mind, small group leaders, we're going to have a moment of prayer. And if there is a family member or family whole that you are just burdened for, maybe they don't know the Lord. Or maybe something is going on in your family that only you and God know about. It's you, your situation, and God. That's enough. That's enough. He is with us. I want you to feel comfortable to come up and to pray and to ask God to move in your family. Ask him to move in your brother's life. Ask him to move in your sister's life. Ask him to move in your own heart. To offer forgiveness in this certain situation. I don't know. It's time to get the junk out. And we want to pray with you. And we want to just ask the Lord just to be with you and be with your family. These small group leaders, they are, they are ready to pray and fight for you and for your family and your loved ones. As I start to pray, feel free to come forward. Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. Your word says when we don't know what to do, our eyes are on you. And there are so many times in life and in families, Lord God, that we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, Lord. Father, we just call out for every heart in here, Lord God. This is Mother's Day. It's a family day, Lord. I pray, Lord, for healing in relationships. I pray, Lord God, that you would draw the prodigal back home, Father. I pray those that haven't spoken to mom or dad in years, Lord God, will just, that would break, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord. God, because you never leave us and you never forsake us. And we don't have to be afraid in our family situations because you are with us. You're with us. You're with us, and we just worship you, and we praise you, and say that you are great, and you are greatly to be praised, and you are glorious in our family, and you're glorious in our situation, Father. Praise you, Jesus.